Thank you. Ah, you're very kind. Thank you so much. Um, I did text her this morning. I was like, I'm nervous. If you all ever wonder if everybody who gets up here isn't nervous, we are. We do get nervous. Um, if I haven't met you before, I'm Christy Kerr. Um, I serve here at North Central in President Hagen's office, so you might see me kind of running around. Um, but I also am a pastor. My husband and I pastor Homestead Community Church, which is in Farmington, which is South Metro. And my husband's here. Hi, stand up and show him your shirt. Look at it. Ladies, find yourself a guy that will wear... The pastor's husband's shirt. That's what you want to find right there. We met at North Central 27 years ago, you guys. And we've been married 25 years, so. Well, I am, I am excited to be sharing with you. I'm going to share a message today, uh, something that I actually preached at our church a few weeks ago. And the Lord has just been burning it on my heart for a few weeks. And so when Joshua said, hey, could you fill in? I went, oh, I don't want to preach this one here. But I really feel like the Lord has a word for us today. Um, and we're going to be in the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be talking about uh, this passage of scripture that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae. And he was addressing some confusion that they were having in their church. These people had come to faith, they were loving Christ, and then these teachers started infiltrating there and started bringing about a little bit of confusion. And so Paul is writing a letter to them, sits down and starts to address uh, the first and second chapter. He's talking about the good news of Christ, how you don't have to add anything to it because these speakers were saying, hey, you have to add this, you have to do this in addition to the saving grace of Jesus. And Paul takes the first couple chapters to clarify, hey, we are saved by grace alone. But then when he gets to chapter 3, he says, however, there are some things required of us to live a life of holiness. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So before we start, I'm just going to pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your spirit. Lord, I pray in the next few moments we would have ears to hear what you want to say to us. Lord, we want to be the church that you intended, the church that the world needs us to be right now. And we know that there is a requirement of us in the way that we live, in the way that we interact, and in the way that we serve you. And so I'm asking right now that you would just let your Holy Spirit come in this place and that we would hear every word you want us to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Paul starts by talking about, the first thing he addressed, if they want to live a life for Christ, is to shift their thinking. He starts with the mind, right? Paul is telling them one of the first things you have to do if you want to start walking out this life of faith is to shift the way you think about this life. Don't think about your life the way you used to think about your life. He tells us that if we want to be followers of Christ, we start by making an entire mental shift as to what we focus on. He says, now, instead of thinking of the things of earth, I want you to start thinking about the things of heaven. Now, that doesn't mean that we just get saved, hang out in our house like just waiting for heaven, Lord, like we just hide out. No, it means that we shift our focus from thinking about how we are building our kingdom here on earth, and instead our whole world begins thinking about how can I build the kingdom of heaven? 
What am I doing every single day that is going to build the kingdom of heaven on earth? Now, this infiltrates every part of us. When we shift our minds to the things of heaven, our work, our jobs become less about being successful or making a name for ourselves or getting a paycheck. It shifts to how is my work building the kingdom of God, right? When we shift our minds to the things of heaven, our personal lives become less of what do I want? What is going to make me happy? What do do I want to do? It becomes more of what can I do today to honor God with my life? How can I leverage every interaction I have today in order to build the kingdom of God? And in those moments where a decision comes where we think, ah, this is kind of what I want to do, but it's not going to build the kingdom of heaven, we stop. And if we've made that mental shift, we say, is this worth it? Am I really going to follow through with this thing? Because is this going to pull me over to the kingdom of earth? Or is this going to move me closer to the kingdom of heaven? You see how the mental shift is important? This is going to be really important when I start talking to you about my next two points. Because there's a lot of people trying to change their behavior without changing their minds. And when the moment arises for them to do something that feels good in the moment, but they know it's not God's best for them, they can't make the shift. You have to start with shifting your mind. Everything I do, everything I am, everything I want to be is all about building the kingdom of God. You have to start by shifting your mind. If you want to live a life that honors God, the first thing you have to do is shift your thoughts to the kingdom of heaven. So Paul starts there. He starts in the mind. And then immediately he shifts to the body. Can we talk for a few minutes? Can we get a little real about this here? Okay, here we go. I have a son that goes here. I told him he didn't have to come in here. His mom talked about sex in chapel today. So, but we're going to talk about it. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of his creator. Okay, here we go. It's not enough to just think about the things of heaven. You have to shift that into your human body and your human actions. You cannot just love God with your minds and keep doing whatever you want with your bodies. And that includes your sexuality and your words and your actions. If you want to be a follower of Christ, you have to put to death the actions of your body that pull you away from the things of heaven to the things of earth. And Paul decides to get very specific and real practical, and he actually spends a lot of time, these first five things he talks about all have to do with sexuality. He starts the whole list containing, uh, talking about our bodies and how it contains our sexuality, and it might seem redundant, like, Paul, why did you say five things? You could have just said one thing. But this list is actually a progression. These are actually they address different parts of sexual sin. It's actually a progression of how sexual sin can grow. So we're going to look at it for a second. The first thing he talks about is sexual immorality. This is any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. So this means if you're single, it's any kind of sexual activity. 
If you're married, it means any sexual activity with anyone who is not your spouse. So the first thing he starts is, is this very fundamental, basic parameter of you only have any kind of sexual activity if you are married and only with that person. So he starts there, and then he moves over. The progression continues. The second thing he talks about is is impurity. It's literally translated to unclean. This can be defined as any kind of distortion of sex, anything that corrupts or twists or makes sex into something dirty. If you think of anything that takes sex and makes it seedy or deviant or confused, that would fall under this category. And he says, we've got to get rid of that. The next thing he talks about is lust. This is sexual passions. It actually means that which befalls one. The thing that can take you down. These are strong feelings not guided by God. This would include pornography. Looking and reading things that stir up passion for someone other than your spouse. And I want to take a second and just talk to you about in your world. When I was young, pornography was hard to find. And In this day and age, it's not even the internet anymore. It's streaming. It's shows that are on that have no kind of accountability. We used to watch like network television and they weren't even allowed to say certain words. I start to watch shows nowadays and I think they are showing everything. And your exposure to things that you should not be exposed to that will stir up lust in you is huge. And there is no one that will see it. And no one that will know when you have your AirPods in and you're looking on your phone. Nobody's going to know. You have to patrol this in your own life. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about lust. And we're not talking about normal human sexual desire, right? There are things that that's a part of who God made you to be. Uh, This is a step further about fanning the flames of desire in a way that is outside of marriage. It's a passion that cannot be quenched in a way that would honor God. And Paul says, you got to get rid of lust in your life. Then he moves on. I want you to see how each is progressing. Evil desires. These are ugly, harmful cravings. Literally, this means criminal things, terrible things. This is rape, abuse, exploitation, manipulating others into sexual activity, and the mistreatment of using people for sex. It starts over here. And each one gets a little darker and a little darker until we get to the last one, which is greed, which is idolatry. Now, if we just saw the word greed here, we would think that Paul was talking about money. We would think he got distracted and like threw in something about money there. But it's not that because he says in this context, greed, which is idolatry. He's talking about sexual sin and he talks about greed that moves to idolatry. He's talking about obsessing over another person to the point of wanting to own them. It's coveting someone to wanting to possess them or own them for yourself. And Paul is saying all of these things, every single one of them, you have got to get rid of it. If you want to live a life that honors God and is building the kingdom of heaven, you have got to get rid of these things. So why is it important that as Christians we keep purity in our bodies when it comes to sexual things? Many people would say, well, what I do in the privacy of my own home or what I'm doing in my head, it doesn't affect anybody else. It doesn't hurt anybody else. But I want you to look at the progression of that list. Do the things on that list affect only you? Are you the only one affected by those things? Did the things on that list cause hurt and pain and harm to other people? Yeah. 
Because sexual sin always hurts other people, including you. Including you. Paul tells us what will happen when we don't surrender these areas of our lives to God. If you look at verse 5 again, he says, To put to death all these things. Why? But because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, that's a present tense verb. We are experiencing it. So, what does that mean? What does the wrath of God mean? Does it mean that God is getting ready to throw a big temper tantrum? Like, I'm giving you one last time, right? And you're going to walk outside and like a lightning bolt's going to get you. What does this mean? The wrath of God is coming. Well, the wrath of God has to do with the fixed justice of God that is in place, right? God's anger is not a spontaneous emotional outburst, but it's a holy God's necessary response to sin, The only reason our world does not fall to pieces is because the merciful hand of God is holding back the judgment of God. Correct? Sin's effect on humanity is always to kill, to steal, and destroy. And that happens personally and collectively to us as a society. And Paul says, because of the choices you are making to do these things, to choose sin over God, you are now reaping the consequences of the choices you have made without the hand of God stopping it. I want to look at Romans 1 for a second. I I pulled up the God's Word translation because I liked how it said it. Romans 1.21 says, Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them. Now, it doesn't mean that God left them. The word means handed over, suggesting that God said, okay, you want it, here you go. You can have it. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them, again, handed them over to their desires. Even the women turned against, each, against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Okay, hold on a second. Paul's not picking on homosexuals or blaming them for this. He's literally saying, over here, I gave you parameters. God gave you parameters. And you said, we don't want him. We don't want those parameters. And so God said, okay. And that hand of mercy was lifted because we wanted what we wanted. We didn't want the parameters God gave us. And so Paul begins to show us that progression that he talked about in Colossians. The progression became they began to do vile things with each other's bodies. Sex began, people were using each other. People were not honoring each other's bodies. They were using each other. They were harming each other. They didn't have respect for one another. So this progression happened here. And then all of a sudden Paul says, and now their attraction has even been affected by this. Because in that day and time, 
Sex was not about who you loved. It was who could you have babies with. It was how are you going to build your family? How are you going to build your line? How are you going to build security? So the idea that people would have sex with someone that could not produce an heir was so completely foreign that he said, we said we want it our way. And now the progression has happened. And now people are even attracted to someone that would not even produce an heir. Can you see how Paul's like, what is happening? You might have experienced this if you are over here and you're trying to explain to your grandparents how people you know are confused about their gender. Have you tried to explain that to your grandparents? They go, what are you talking about? I don't understand. doesn't make any sense to me. Paul's doing the same thing here. It doesn't make any sense. Why would people be attracted to someone of the same sex? Let me ask you this question. Is this progression continuing in our world today? Is confusion over sexuality growing? Yes, we are experiencing the wrath of God. That doesn't mean that God is angry. It means that we have chosen what we want, and so the hand of God has been removed, and we are experiencing the consequences of the choice that we have made. The wrath of God is not a lightning bolt that thunders down from heaven to destroy us. The wrath of God is that he says, okay, If you want to be in charge of what's okay and what's not okay, I'll let you. He lets us do what we want. And when we do that, we then suffer the natural consequences of those decisions and their effect on society and ourselves. Look again at that list that Paul showed us in Colossians 3 that we went over earlier. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. Would you say that in our world, people having sex with whomever they want has caused enormous pain? In our world, we can talk all day about the abortion debate, but you know what would happen if people weren't having sex with people they weren't married with? Don't you think that would change a whole lot of that? Would you say that lust is causing problems in our society? What is the result of pornography on families and marriages, let alone thinking about those who are victimized in the creation of pornography? What about evil desires? What's happening in our society when it comes to evil desires? The rates of sexual abuse in our society is almost unbelievable. Current statistics are that one in three women and one in four men have experienced sexual violence in their lifetime. Human trafficking, rape, objectification of women and children. Because we have refused to hold our sexual desires within the framework God has given us, We are reaping the consequences of our choice. So when we hear the message in our world that we should open wide the floodgates of what is acceptable sexually, we can do that, but we will continue to reap that. And I believe the world knows that it's all messed up. They can sense that it's all messed up. And so the world's solution is to just accept everything. Let's just make it all okay. Like if everything is okay, then nothing, then it will all get better. And yet we know that's not the case. The only thing that's going to make it better is for us to all get back in alignment. We got to get back into alignment of what God has ordained for us. We have to step back into that. And when we do this, that hand of mercy comes back into place. And you know what begins to dissipate? Confusion darkness, 
harm, all of those things begin to change when we get back into alignment with what God has said. And lest we all start feeling very pious and churchy about this, about our sexual morality, you need to know that the statistics show us that sexual immorality inside the church is exactly the same as outside the church. So we have got to get our house in order. We have to start with us. And if you're unsure of that, read Romans 2. Because he goes after him in Romans 1, and then in Romans 2, he just says, and you churchy people, you're no better. If just the Christians in the United States operated with biblical sexual integrity, imagine the change that would begin to happen in our world. There is an answer to this problem. It's to do what Paul is saying and go back to these boundaries that God gave us in the beginning. We can't change the whole world, but we can make a choice in our own lives to submit our sexuality to the authority and lordship of Jesus Christ. And then that hand of mercy and protection will come back into place, and we will see change begin to happen. We can change the trajectory of our lives and our families' lives and our future and protect our families from the consequences that happen when we live outside of God's boundaries for sex. Everybody okay? Okay. Paul goes on to address anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language, lying, other things, all these actions that keep us from growing in our relationship with Christ. So Paul tells us we got to shift our thinking, and then it's got to move into what we do with our bodies. And the last thing that he tells us is to address our hearts. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Paul had listed five sexual sins, and now he counteracts it with five beautiful virtues. What is the remedy for sexual immorality? It's to put on these beautiful new attributes that God said. Because sexual immorality, anger, rage, all of those things, right? What are they focused on? You. I want my needs met. What I want is more important. It doesn't matter if I'm devaluing another person to get it. It doesn't matter if it harms them to get it. I want to get my needs fulfilled. And Paul says, you got to put that off. And instead, we change the story. We take ourselves out of the center of the narrative. And instead, we put these things on. Compassion which is affection and tenderness towards others, seeing people the way God sees them, not someone to be used, but someone who God values. Kindness, which means acting uprightly with each other. It means being good to people, patience, forgiving, and above all, putting on love. He says that loving one another is the secret sauce to overcoming these things because when we see people the way God sees them, we don't take advantage of them. We honor them. We respect them. We follow God's ways. If we want to live a life that honors God, we have to address these three areas, mind, body, and heart. And it has to go in that order. 
I love the analogy that Paul uses in verses 12 through 14. He talks about at the end of this, this little portion, to clothe ourselves with these things. I like that analogy because it's something we can all understand, right? Because every single one of you, as far as I can see, fully clothed yourselves today as you came to chapel, unless there's something going on up there, and I don't know what it is. But what is the process that we do every morning when I get dressed, right? Well, the first thing I do is I think about my day, right? What am I doing? Where am I going? How much running around do I have to do? Am I going to wear heels? Am I not going to wear heels, right? You think about your day. Is it cold? Is it hot? So in that same way, Paul says, start here. Start your day by thinking about the way you want to live your life. Anticipate the things that are going to come up in your path today and say, God, as I encounter this, how can I build the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of earth? God, as I encounter this, how can I build your kingdom? God, when this temptation comes, help me to be ready to build the kingdom of heaven and not the kingdom of earth, right? So we start by thinking. And then the next thing we do when we're getting ready is we take off the old before we put on the new. If one of my kids came into the house, which would happen from time to time when they were little, and they were just like covered in mud or filthy and whatever, and I would say, hey, go, go put on some clean clothes. And they ran upstairs, and they came back down, and they had clean clothes on, but they left the muddy ones on underneath. I would be like, what are you doing? Which probably actually happened once or twice. What are you doing? Well, I put on clean clothes. Yeah, but you're still wearing the dirty ones. You're still dirty. You just put something clean on top of it, right? You have to put off the old. You have to put off the old before you put on the new. You have, that's why Paul takes so much time to say, hey, let me tell you specifically, you have got to get this out of your life. I know you want to live in all the good new stuff over here, but you're just putting that on top of dirty clothes. And he's saying you have got to get rid of it. If you want to live a life that is building the kingdom of God, you have to get rid of the old. And then we put on the new. Just as you and I need to daily clothe ourselves with a godly perspective towards others, we have to do that. Paul gave us this formula. It's something you can do every morning. Okay, Lord, we're getting dressed. Here we go. Help me to think about how I can build the kingdom of heaven today. God, what do I need to take off? What behavior? And let me just say this with all my heart. I hope you don't hear an ounce of condemnation for me today. Not one ounce. We're all human. We're all struggling to live a life honoring God. And we all stumble and we all make mistakes. But listen, there's a difference between stumbling and making a mistake and just saying, I'm just going to do what I want. This is the way I am and I'm just going to operate in it. You see the difference? We have to have hearts that desire the things of God. Your generation is in trouble. So, I have a church full of teenagers that every week come at Pastor Christie. I'm so confused. I'm so confused about my gender, about my sexuality. I'm so confused. I've been hurt. I've been abused. I've been mistreated. And the world is desperately trying to help them. And the church is desperately trying to avoid the conversation. 
And if we are going to be the people of God, we have to have the courage to speak up for truth. We have to have the courage to come alongside people. And when, when my kids come and tell me that's going on, I, I just put my arm around and go, that's okay. Jesus is going to help us figure this all out. It's all right. We're going to get there because God is big enough to handle any of those questions. But we have to be ready to engage in this. And we can't engage in it until we have cleaned our own house. So why don't we stand together in this place? I don't really know how I'm going to end, but I'm just going to pray. We're going to see what God's going to do. Lord, can we just lift our hands? Father, we are your people. And that means you get to make all the rules. You get to decide all the things because you are all-knowing and all-wise. And Father, we repent of the areas that we have thought we knew better, areas that we have adopted the world's ideas and understanding, Lord, the areas that we have gotten lazy in our purity, lazy in our devotion to you, lazy in our holiness. And Father, we desperately want revival, like Dr. Leibengood prayed about. We want revival, but we recognize that that comes with a price. And we have to be willing to clean our own house. And then we have to be willing to stand in the gap and speak truth to a culture that can be terrifying to speak truth to. But God... There are people who are lost and hurting and they need the truth. God, they're so confused and we have the clarity needed, God, the hand of God, the mercy of God that brings clarity and understanding and freedom to those who have been bound. And so, God, today we stand in the gap and we ask Jesus that you would come and you would make us a people of holiness. You would make a, peop, a, a people of intercession, a people not afraid, Lord, to just get in the trenches and to speak truth and light and love to those we encounter. Father, we desire to live to build the kingdom of heaven. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to just take some time. If you want to come forward and pray, maybe you have just a burden for somebody in your heart, somebody you know, love. Maybe God is stirring something in your own heart. We're just going to open up these altars for you to take some time and come and pray and seek the Lord. If God is moving on your heart, do not leave. Do not leave until you deal with whatever God is dealing with you about, okay? You guys can lead us. <laughs>